2: From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Welcome to one small piece of a huge new KQED project on the history and influence of Bay Area hip-hop, spearheaded by our crack arts team. The year-long extravaganza is called That's My Word, drawn from this song, Super Hyphy" by beloved local rapper Keek Sneak. And there's so much more in it. A timeline of Bay hip-hop features on history, live events, podcasts, and regular forum shows, too. Today, we give you Bay Area Hip Hop 101. Maybe you know Hyphaea, not much else. Maybe you were at the first Conscious Daughter show. Or maybe you wish Oakland music stopped at Tower of Power. Wherever you're at, there's going to be something for you today on the show. Rap, politics, power, Tupac, police, this face. That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is our first in a new monthly event here on Forum. We're gonna be hanging out with our amazing arts team talking about their monumental new package series project. It's called That's My Word, and it's on the history of Bay Area Hip-Hop and its influence on our culture. So let's meet everybody here who's been involved in this project. First up, we've got Eric Arnold, who's a longtime hip hop journalist, contributing editor on this project. That's my word. Welcome, Eric. Hey, thank you, man. Yeah. We also have Nastia Vonovskaya, uh, associate editor with KQED Arts.
3: Hey, Alexis. Thanks for having us.
2: We've got Pen Darvis, Pen Harsha, columnist with KQED Arts and host of KQED's Right Nowish podcast. Welcome, Pen. Hi, hey Alexis. So happy to have you, everybody. And we've got Gabe Moline, senior editor with KQED Arts and Culture. Gabe, let's uh, start with you. This series has so many components and so many pieces. It's got (laughs) documentaries and book excerpts and huge new reported features and live events. Um, But let's start with the name. That's my word. Tell us about that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my word.
4: We chose that name for threefold reasons. You know, one, uh, it's a Keek the Sneak reference, uh, king of the super super high fee. Um, Keek is a uh, Bay Area legend, uh, survivor, a big supporter of this project. Um, also that's my word you know the Bay Area has had a lot of influence on the rest of the country and a part of that is our slang so it's a way of saying literally like that's my word (laughs) you know Um, it's also just kind of an imprimatur like this is
2: Bay Area culture like all of us this Mm -hmm. is our word and we stand by it yeah so how did the idea come about to to put together this project And how long is it taking? Because it's been cooking for a while. It's
4: been cooking for a while, yeah. A while ago, we started talking about two things. Um, One was about Bay Area hip-hop and the influence that it's had and just how deep and rich and incredible it is and how overlooked it is. There's never been a book about Bay Area hip-hop. There's never been a documentary about Bay Area hip-hop. We wanted to change that. We also started talking about how 2023 marks what's widely regarded as the 50th anniversary of the birth of hip-hop in the Bronx. So in August, when this anniversary rolls around, you'll start to see a lot of events nationwide celebrating the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. We said, wait a second. Since the Bay has been so overlooked for all these decades, why don't we spend a whole year on Bay Area hip-hop culture? So that's what we're doing. Um, It is very overwhelming no one person can fully tell the story of Bay Area hip hop history, so there's the four of us, uh, plus our advisory panel of uh, Davy D, just like walking, breathing hip hop <laughs> history. Uh, Jeff Chang, who literally wrote the book on hip hop, can't stop, won't stop. Um, Professor Donalisa Fisher from San Francisco State. Um, we've also got a lot of contributors who've like been immersed in this culture, just experts
2: and uh, a lot of community input uh, too. So, yeah. oh man. Pen, I know that at one point in your life, I mean, you wanted to be a Bay Area MC. Um, and now what's it what's this like to work on a project that lets you really take the whole span of Bay Area Hip Hop? That's funny
5: that you brought that up. I was actually reflecting on it. I, I went to like an MC battle when I was like 17 and I had a shirt that said Sedwick and Cedar on it. And that's like where DJ Cool Herc spun at, you know, where it all got started. Um So yeah, yeah, it's near and dear to me. And to be able to write about something that I'm a fan of, that I'm a part of, and and actually a student of, um, it's been fascinating. And
2: we've been working on this tough for the past year plus. Yeah. I mean, from your perspective, if you were to just have to explain to an outsider, how did Bay Area hip hop influence the genre as a whole? What would you say? I uh, Gabe said,
5: um, I think it starts with the language, uh, language, uh, our, our, vocabulary, so many different words that we've introduced to the game, everything from hella to play a hater, you name it. Um, and then, uh, just the way we took what is packaged as hip hop. So all these different elements, if you will, and did it our way. And of course, you know, you have the hubs of New York, Atlanta, LA. Um, but the Bay is we dance a little different. Um, we, we just bring a, a little
2: different flavor. Um, and that's what we're looking to explore in this in this project. Yeah, uh, Nastia, you've covered Bay Area music for a long time too. Why do you think Bay Area hip hop has been overlooked?
3: You know, I think there are a lot of narratives about this, and there's not really a consensus. There's theories out there, like the Bay doesn't support its own, or on the other hand, that maybe we're too niche and too insular. But I think there are just some you know, hard realities of the geographic factors, New York and L.A. being the centers of media and entertainment, most record labels being based in New York. Um, there's been some mainstream attention on Bay Area rap over the decades and fits and starts. Like, um, in the 80s, MC Hammer had a double platinum album. Tutor um, made his major label debut in the late 80s. In the 90s, there were a lot of major labels like Jive signing E-40 and Spice One. Same with 2000s with the hy movement. Um... But I, I think um, the uh, a lot of local ar- artists haven't been able to make the jump, you know, from indie to mainstream for, for a variety of factors. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, that's why we're doing the, this project to really um, make a case for why the Bay has been so original and so influential.
2: Yeah. We are talking about KQED's new project, That's My Word, year-long project dedicated to chronicling Bay Area hip-hop history. We'd love to hear from you. I mean, who are your favorite Bay Area hip-hop legends? What do you appreciate about them? The number is 866-733-6786. If you're a fan of Bay Area hip-hop, what do you think is interesting or unique about our particular spin on the genre? The number is 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, KQED Forum, and the email is forum at kqed.com. Org. Um, Eric Arnold, so you've got kind of the feature essay uh, published this week for the, for the launch. Yes, sir. And you, would wrote, you wrote, No one would dispute that hip-hop emerged from the Bronx or that James Brown was one of its godfathers, but the impact the Bay Area had on hip-hop's early sound, aesthetic, and ideology is less widely recognized. A thorough exploration of the Bay's cultural and political movements of the 60s and 70s strongly suggests the Bay was hip-hop before there was. Talk yes, to me sir. about what you meant there. Yeah, okay. Well, so I, I, I did a, a lot of
0: digging for this story, and I found out that in the second article ever published on hip hop in The Village Voice from like 1982, there's a reference to their profiling Africa Bambata, the founder of the Zulu mm-hmm. Nation, and uh, they're talking about his political influences. And they mentioned that when he was 12, he used to visit the Black Panther field office in Bronx River before he even founded the uh, the Zulu Nation. Uh, so his political worldview as a 12-year-old teenager living in the Bronx, like even before he joined the, the street gang, the Black Spades, uh, was influenced by the Panthers who came out of Oakland. And that article also mentioned uh, Sly Stone and particularly the song Stand as something that influenced the political worldview, the ideology of this future pioneer of hip-hop, this is 1968. This is like five years before uh, Cool Herc throws his first party. Bambada wasn't even a DJ until like 1975. Um, But also the research that I I did indicates that there was a really thriving dance subculture uh, that originally came out of Oakland in like 1964 called Boogaloo. And by the uh, mid-1970s, it had spread to Richmond. It had spread to San Francisco, where it became strutting and robotting, respectively. Uh, and, you know, these predate b-boying. They predate breakdancing. And they developed concurrently, like, throughout the, the 80s. Like, breakdancing didn't come to the Bay until the 80s. And by that time, you know, you have 15 years of this subculture that is Developing concurrently with funk music, and with uh, you know the the Black
2: Panthers and the Black Arts Movement. Yeah, let's listen in to a little bit of Sly and the Family Stone. This is my favorite uh, Sly song. It's Underdog. These drums hit so hard. Let's listen in. Sly and the Family Stone, one of the greatest songs of all time. Underdog, um, Eric, I'll talk to me a little bit about why you think Sly was sort of a, a, a hip hop precursor. Oh, totally. Well, I mean, you know, you know, for one thing, like Sly is
0: literally in the Family Stone, are literally embedded into the DNA of hip hop. I mean, he's been sampled almost a thousand times. So a lot of your favorite hip hop songs from artists like Jungle Brothers and De La Soul down to you know Dell and Ice Cube. Uh, are actually Sly Stone, uh, but then Sly was also the first to use uh, electronic drums uh, on a top forty record. Uh, he embodies like the artist producer. Uh, he you know makes songs like Underdog, which have these themes of resilience that would later resonate with hip hop. I mean, there's nothing about that song that we just played that isn't hip hop or doesn't foreshadow hip-hop so you know and then there's the image and the mm. fact that he was able to cross over while you know to a, a wider mainstream audience
2: while retaining his own black identity yeah I mean there's also a little bit of that uh, I say this in a positive way kind of the weirdness right <laughs> some of like mm. the the funny the kind of like just outside-the-box counterculture of the Bay plus Black culture of the of the Bay. Oh, absolutely! I mean, especially when you get to like albums like
0: 1971. There's a riot going on. That is a really weird, eerie, dark album. It's not like happy funk. It's not like everyday people. It's like, but it really reflected like you know what was going on at the time. And now it's regarded as a masterpiece. Yeah.
2: We're talking about KQED's new That's My Word series, chronicling Bay Area hip-hop. We're talking with Eric Arnold, contributing editor for That's My Word, Nastia Bonaskaya, associate editor with KQED Arts, Penn Harsha, columnist with KQED Arts and host of KQED's Right Nowish" podcast, and Gabe Moline, senior editor with KQED Arts. We're going to start taking some of your calls and your comments in the next, uh, next segment. If you're a fan of Bay Area hip-hop... What do you find unique or interesting about it? You can give us a call. The number is 866 733 6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. And the emails forum at kqed.org. Gonna go out to the jack. <laughs> I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about KQED's new massive project, That's My Word, chronicling Bay Area hip-hop history. Gabe Malin, Senior Editor, KQED Arts and Culture. If people want to check out uh, that's my word. They want to see the full package, not just the forum encapsulation. Where, where would they go? <laughs> this is a, uh, a giant subsite site of
4: kqed.org. Um, you can find it by going to bayareahiphop.com. Um, it's where we have a timeline of over 200 important events across five decades in Bay Area hip-hop history. We have playlists for each decade. Um, we have stories at our launch from people like Mac Mall uh, from Vallejo Black Sea from RBL Posse. Um, stories about Nump, uh, reflections from Davey the Hyrule Hobo Battle at KMEL in 1994. There's just, like, so much there. So, bayareahiphop.com. Yeah.
2: Um, Eric Arnold, uh, contributing editor on That's My Word. I did want to talk a little bit about the Panthers' influence. Obviously, comes comes back in with Tupac later, but in the early days, how do you see the Panthers influencing Bay Area hip-hop as a kind of cultural movement? I mean, how didn't they influence Bay Area hip-hop?
0: I mean, you know, you can't see this, but my fist is raised right now. Um, So, you know, (laughs) they had, like, the image, they had the style, but they also had a funk band, you know, called The Lumpin'. Mm -hmm. Um, For Lumpin' Proletariat. Yeah, reference to Franz Fanon, right? And, uh, you know, and these guys, like, they did a show at... uh, At San Quentin Prison, organized by Belva Davis, Uh, you know, Curtis Mayfield was on that bill. They almost caused a riot because they referred to the uh, correctional officers as pigs. Um, You know, so and, you know, Bay Area hip hop was really leading the charge on the police reform movement. And, you know, hip hop has been about police reform for I don't know, 30, 40 years, but that was actually on the that point was I think point number seven of the Panthers' ten point program, mm-hmm. uh, and and so you know talking about the lumping, talking about the Panthers, talking about the fact that the Panthers had a, a newspaper that was up to like four hundred thousand copies, and they had chapters in thirty eight cities nationwide. So when uh, Melvin Van Peebles' first uh, movie, uh, "Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song," came out in nineteen seventy one, the Panthers instructed people to go see it. And then the the movie, which was shot for one hundred fifty thousand dollars, ended up making fifteen point two million, and launched uh, an entire genre called black exploitation. You may have heard about it: Superfly, at The Mac, Dolomite, da 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 da. And that became a key influence on hip hop. So I mean, I could go on for
2: you know the entire show just talking about the Panthers. Mm-hmm. Um, man I remember seeing that Melvin Van Peebles movie when I was like 17 years old and yeah. just like my brain was just coming out of my ears I mean it was just it the is, most masterpiece I mean, yeah. it was a badass yeah. song yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's listen in to a song by The Lumpin the, basically the Panthers house band this is uh, Free Bobby Now <laughs> Ah, free Bobby Seal. Free Bobby now. Uh, amazing. Um, let's talk a little bit about how we get from sort of this era to maybe what more people know as like Bay Area hip hop. Gabe, do you want to talk a little bit about the first, what's considered to be the first Bay Area rap record?
4: Yeah, this would be uh, a record by an artist named Motorcycle Mike. Uh, the song is called Super Rat. Uh, it's from 1981. And you'll, you'll hear when, when you hear the song, you know, it, its style may be sort of derivative of like the, you know, disco New York rap uh, sound at the time. But the origin story of this record is very Bay Area. Um, a man named Mickey Moe funded it and released it and distributed it. That's Milton Moore. Mickey Moe was a drug kingpin in Oakland. And uh, drug kingpins cast a very long shadow over uh, Bay Area hip-hop history. So.
2: Let's listen, Motorcycle Mike.
7: Wait a minute, fellas, let me park my bike. I'm the king of the rap, Motorcycle Mike. Just rode through the desert, 100 degrees, the fastest thing next to heaven. Went. My bike is bad, They cool through all that. When a friend calls, ain't let him down yet. It's time to explain why I came to DC, why the boss HB invited me. The president shut out a proclamation to exterminate rats across the nation.
2: Yeah, can you fix it, Mike?
7: Boy from Miami Beach and O.J.R. from New Orleans. to Ed from the Motor City. Big Apple Sam, he keeps a sewer sprint. But there's only one fellow that can do the job. Boy. Big Apple, get down with that mob. shame who is this a guy? Down in the gallery with the garbage girl, that
2: Well, come back to the forum. That uh, was Motorcycle Mike's uh, Super Rat, which is considered uh, to be the first rap record um out of the Bay Area. We want to bring in um Black C who's on our line here. Uh, Black C welcome to the show.
8: Uh, thanks for having me.
2: You know, one of the things we wanted to talk to you about um is just sort of like the geographic nature of, of Bay Area hip hop. Like how are things like you guys refer Hunter's Point there were people up in Vallejo. You had Oakland. You had Richmond. Uh, talk to us a little bit about like how you saw the that kind of map of Bay Area hip hop.
8: Um, back when I started, to be honest, it, it was really, to me, from my point of view, it was mainly uh, Oakland. You know, when we came out, it was Ant Banks and them. Uh, Too Short, of course, with the seventy-five girls movement, with all them. And, um, it wasn't, that, it didn't spread yet. Like, you know, later on, I guess when I around with the pump, we came out, uh, 1992, 91, we started working with TC. The uh, guys from EPA, like, totally insane. Then all the stories, you start seeing, like, E-40. And then we start getting music from them, um, uh, the Leo scene. Mac Dre was out. I will say Mac Dre was out doing his thing, um, uh, with California Living. Um, but uh, that was pretty much it. It wasn't too much rap going on. It wasn't sp- spreading widely like it is now all the way to Sacramento, the Valley. You know, it, it, it just blew up, blew over. But it was mainly pretty much uh, we had one rapper. Well, we had two. We had Huey MC and Fillmore. And we had um, uh, I.M.P. Kuganuck, rest in peace Kuganuck, who was out of Lakeview. But we didn't have too much going on. You know, so we when we came out, we kind of was trying to base our group off of NWA, which was, you know, out of L.A., mm-hmm. and 415, which was Richie Rich, D-Loke, and um, DJ Durrell and them yeah. out of Oakland. So that's what we kind of was trying to, you know, we we're trying to be like them, basically.
2: This is, uh, we're talking with Black C from RBL Posse about sort of Bay, Bay Area hip-hop history. And, you know... uh. Lexi, I wanted to ask you how you see your group kind of in the span of this barrier history. Like, what were you drawn on, and what do you think you kind of gave rise to uh, with your music?
8: Um, I would say, well, everybody, I would say that we would probably be the front runners for the cannabis industry, really. We was like one of the first groups kind of pretty much pushing cannabis because our first thing was, don't, of course, Don't Give Me No Bamber Weed, and that <laughs> blew up, and that put us on the map. <laughs> so, I would say the cannabis explosion, you know, back then it, it, it wasn't legal. So, you know, we had to spell like on our video, instead of spelling Indo like I-N-D-O, we had to spell it E-N-D-O, and we had to tell it. it was a lot of stuff we had to kind of censor in our video. So, I would say uh, us, I would say we was pretty much kind of like the front runners in that in that, that cannabis movement, you know, and then back then we started having the Cypress Hills. The total devastations who came, who Australia, who out of San Francisco, also we influenced them to come with many clouds of smoke. Um, it was just a, a rush of cannabis songs after we we dropped our our song. So I would say that uh, yeah, we would probably be like the pioneers of, of that industry.
2: Gabe, how about uh, from your perspective, like kind of looking at the the, the scope of, of Bay Area rap? Where would you fit in RBL Posse? Um. Uh, well, put Hunter's point on the
4: map, definitely. Like, uh, there there was a right. lot of there was a lot of activity uh, beforehand, but uh, RBL, especially a lesson to be learned. You know, thirty years old, um, and Black Sea is part of this series. Uh, writes about that album cover shoot, that famous photo, all the conditions uh, in the neighborhood at the time. But you know, before that, it was very rudimentary. Like. In the early 80s, it was like Too Short and Freddie B were making homemade tapes on their mom's Montgomery Ward stereo Mm -hmm. on these like (laughs) Radio Shack tapes that they bought three for $1.99 and they'd sell for five bucks, like essentially inventing the Mm -hmm. Bay Area independent rap hustle. Um, you know, there was a lot of like stylistic developments of like the Bay Area trying to find its sound and everything. Um, mm, and really? lesson to be learned really crystallized a lot of that activity yeah. into one bona fide Bay Area classic. Yeah. So it's a real
2: treat to have you call in, Sea. Yeah, I wanted to ask you one thing just about about that album cover and the the piece that you wrote about it. I mean, it's kind of bittersweet, right? Because you've you've created this kind of legendary album cover, just like with a with like a camera from Walgreens. And yet now when you look at that photo, so many of your friends, so many of the people who are in your crew then are not anymore. They're not even around. Mm-hmm,
8: right. Right, yeah, it's definitely been a Like I said, we all had grew up together. Um, uh, you know, rest in peace to Mr. C. You know, he passed away. The guy in, a, uh, center, in the center of the uh, album cover, Curtis, he got killed due to the, the neighborhood split and splitting up and you know he told on the guy that's standing up on the left uh which is uh douglas stepney booby um he created big block um just out of us falling out he started up his own thing and they just created a split uh the guy little mo that's actually my um kid's mom's brother that's my um mm-hmm. their uncle so you know i got two kids with his sister so um, we still talk, he's still around. um but yeah, it just it's just crazy how, you know, we look at it. It was just so fun. I think about when the day we took the picture, we was having fun, all of us came together, everybody was excited about it. We just really wanted to just really conquer Hunter's Point and hopefully San Francisco. And uh yeah, it just blew up and once it blew up the divide, you know, the jealousy mm-hmm. came in, mm-hmm. you know, people start asking questions about what positions they play, like, oh, who what song are they rapping on or he is he a DJ? Is he this? And they he just was on the cover. It was just really me and Mr. C. And I created pretty much all the music. You know, I was uh, it was a producer first before uh, I actually started rapping. So all the music I had did with the help of TC, you know, and um, yeah, they just started asking questions. So when we started going in to try to really start recording our second album, they wanted to rap. and <laughs> They just wasn't ready. And it just <laughs> caused a problem. So it just was like, you know, y'all can't, you know, you got to practice. This takes time. And Mr. C was working on this, you know, for a couple of years. He had already been a rapper. I was working on it probably since you know, I got a log cabin and uh, ranch uh, in '89. I got into music, and they just thought They could just jump right in and just start rapping. You know, what I mean, which every I see a lot of a lot of them do today. You know, yeah. it's real easy now. You know, you ain't got to strike reels. You know, back then you had to do reel-to-reels, like time close same Now you just go m. on SoundCloud. It's, it's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or you just throw your computer together, plug, plug the mic in, and you got to go out tonight, you know, yeah, through yeah. United Masters or something. So, yeah, it's just, you know, but, um, you know, what I will say is, uh, you know, I, I even do go all the fallout. Me and Booby he did his night. He did, like, 19, 20 years um we talked uh, about a month ago and, you know, we, we just talked about everything and we just brought peace, you know, to our little situation yeah. and just like, you know, we just wish it wouldn't have happened because, you know, we knew if that wouldn't happen with Mr. C, ain't you know, telling where we'd be, we'd probably yeah. be up there with the outcasts and, you know, all the major groups who, who you know, it's pretty much got platinum and gold records and it's considered to be legendary in hip hop. So, yeah. you know, even though they still consider us legendary off our two albums, but you know, I think we would have just you really, had more in you, really cool yeah, up. yeah, yeah. Hey, thank you. Uh,
2: that's probably a good, good place to end it. Thank you so much, uh, Black Sea of RBL Posse. You can check out uh, that music everywhere uh, as a legendary record. We're talking about KQED's new project. That's my word. It chronicles Bay Area hip hop history. We've got Gabe Moline, senior editor of KQED Arts and Culture, Pen Harshaw, columnist with KQED Arts and host of KQED's Right Now-ish podcast, Nastya Ivanovskaia, associate editor with KQED Arts, and Eric Arnold, contributing editor with uh, That's My Word. We'd love to hear from you. If you're a fan of Bay Area hip-hop, what do you find unique or interesting? What kind of influence do you think it's had? Uh, the number's 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're KQED Forum, and the email is forum at kqed.org. Um, Eric Arnold, I wanted to ask you about, you know, we've got these political influences that kind of come, come through the Panthers right into a bunch of the other artists who end up working later in the, in the genre. Um, talk to me about uh, some of those.
0: Yeah, well, you know, so that it all goes back to the Panthers. The Panthers created a climate where having a political consciousness was kind of the norm, and the political consciousness also had like a community aspect to it, you know? So, uh, you know, there are obviously like political rappers in rap like public enemy and KRS one and blah, 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 blah. But in the Bay area, you know, we have the coup with boots, Riley and Pam, the Funkstress. We have Paris, the black, the black Panther of rap. You know, we have (laughs) these people that uh, were really coming from a Bay area perspective and in their music. So it doesn't sound like public enemy, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound like boogie down productions. It sounds like something that
2: could only come from the Bay. Let's uh let's listen to Paris Break the Grip of Shane That's from 1990 Oh I love that one This is Paris, Break the Grip of Shame, kind of representing the Bay Area's contribution to some early political, socially conscious uh, hip-hop. Nastia, you uh, have been working on a piece about another Bay Area uh, hip-hop group, Conscious Daughters, who sort of kind of uh, represent another uh, a strain of, of that.
3: Totally. Yeah, the Conscious Daughters are this incredible East Bay group, um, CMG and Special One, R.A.P. to Special One, um they actually were produced by Paris and their their nineteen ninety-three debut Ear to the Ear to the Street um is really, really incredible. It's like it has this really hard, really streetwise sound, but they're so ahead of their time with these rebukes to misogynistic dudes. Um they have a song, uh i guess whose name i can't say on air um blank situation um <laughs> lousy situation. <laughs> yeah lousy situation you can say for now uh <laughs> where they're, they're addressing topics like teen pregnancy um there's another song where they're, they're telling off this dude that wants them to clean their house um but they're doing it in this really hard gangster way and um I grew up, I'm a 90s baby, grew up loving gangster rap, never heard Conscious Daughters till a few years ago. And when I talk to my friends about them, they don't know them either, and which I think is such a shame. So it's stories like this that we really want to highlight with That's My Word. So I have a piece coming up about them in a couple of weeks. We're going to be dropping new articles every week with this project.
2: Yeah, I was kind of blown away, Nasia, at how many, like when I look at the timeline of your guys' project... There's just so much has been forgotten. Like even when people remember like all like the the headliners. Oh, or the headliners' early work. There's there's like hundreds of other groups that were have been working through the years. Right.
4: You know, it's, uh, even before Conscious Daughters, like in the 80s when uh, this label, Two Shorts label was putting out his music, which, let's face it, was filled with sexual braggadocio and misogynist themes and everything. They were putting out albums by um, young women like Cassidine with an album called Manhandler and um, Kimmy Fresh, Freaky Tales, The Girl's Story. Like decades before... Megan Thee Stallion, Cardi B, Nicki Minaj. It was like female sexual empowerment in like 1984, 1985 on this small
2: Oakland label. A lot of people don't know those records. Yeah. We're talking about KQED's new project, That's My Word, chronicling Bay Area hip-hop. Jesus Guillermo writes in to say, As a kid growing up in Mexico, I would often listen to American hip-hop, not knowing where all these artists came from and what made them different. I grew up listening to E-40. Too Short, Mac Dre and Keek the Sneak, not knowing they were Bay Area artists. Now I call San Jose my home, and I realize how the Bay has always been my place to call home, even before I visited California. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned for more. you know we got
7: the funky But anyway, it's my turn, let me special
2: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. That was just a little snippet of the coup. Uh, we are in the studio talking about KQED's new monumental project on Bay Area hip hop history called That's My Word. And the URL is BayAreaHipHop.com. That's right. That's Gabe Moline, senior editor of KQED Arts and Culture. We got Pen Harshaw, columnist with KQED Arts, Nastya Bonavskaya, associate editor with KQED Arts, and Eric Arnold, contributing editor on this big project. That's my word. Um, let's take a call here and then talk with Penn. Uh, Anthony in Belmont, welcome. Hi, guys. Um, thanks for having me on the show. It's
9: a really great segment, and I'm looking forward to going to these events uh, that you guys made. I just wanted to talk about um, one of the things I like. I grew up in the Bay Area. One of the things I liked about Bay Area hip-hop was like the family atmosphere of uh, crews like the Hieroglyphics crew. I heard you mention the Hiro-Hobo battle um and then the soul side quantum crew which is like dj shadow and blackalicious and latif and lyrics born um i just really appreciated how these these groups would support each other they would all have their own releases and we have group releases and and i just thought it was really cool and and the way
2: it kind of reminded me of the native tongues in uh in new york Mm -hmm. um so anyway. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you, Anthony. I mean we gotta take this one um to Penn Harshaw, who I feel like can explain for people, you know, what, what the hieroglyphics and what Hyrule really means uh to Oakland. Hieroglyphics. All right. Most people know the
5: Hyrule crew for their legendary song Ninety Three Till Infinity. This is how we chill from ninety-three till celebrating its thirtieth anniversary this year. Um, so much more. They've done so much more as a collective. Um, they've put out just so many different tracks. They're another example of independent entrepreneurship through music. Um, what I really love about Hyro, personally, is this Hyro building in East Oakland, which has served as a hub for so many different artists. Um, there's this fictitious division in hip hop between like conscious and gangster rap, right? And Hyro is largely known as conscious or backpack rap, and this hub of the Hyro building served as a place where people like Jay Stalin, Bita Weta, um, DJ fresh people who made gangster rap in the early two thousands, uh, could hone their craft and put out projects that people slapped all throughout the town. And so Hyro ended up uh, just playing a major part in hip hop through and through. And to this day with, uh, the annual Hyro uh, day event that they do in Oakland, one of the largest independent hip hop gatherings, um, I think it's in the Bay Area. I think it's just one of those things where you have to look at Hyrule and their impact and say pretty much is
2: completely intertwined with Bay Area hip hop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, cannot talk about Bay Area hip hop and influence without talking a little bit about Tupac, right? Um, You know, Tupac's first album, Tupacalypse Now, recorded when he lived in Oakland, also spent time up in Marin City. Pan, I mean, when you were growing up, I mean, what did what did Tupac mean to you?
5: Come on, really? On the radio?
2: <laughs> 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 Gotta make us cry. Oh, Lord, dude.
5: <laughs> Look, no, literally, like, I remember sitting in a parking lot in Emeryville, shopping for shoes for new school year, it's September, and getting the word on Cameo that Tupac died. And I'm all of like eight or nine years old at the time, and I cried in the car. And I, you know, like, this is me learning what death is through an idol of mine. Mm. And it got to the point where... I would be riding in the car listening to Tupac thereafter, and I wouldn't get out the car if his song was playing. Mm. I would I felt like Tupac would haunt me, um, <laughs> and, and so like I didn't listen to East Coast rap because Pac told me not to. You know, like it was that deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I started to get older and meet people that were actually around Tupac and like realize he was a real person, it's like oh I get it in full context, I understand who this young man was, and I, you know, and now I'm older than what he was when he passed. I can understand now, like looking back at a 25 year old and be like, damn or dang, he just he needed a hug, uh, <laughs> you know, like he was really going through some stuff and he was expressing yeah. it through his art. Yeah. Um. And so through this project, being able to talk to Davey D about his interactions with Tupac and learn about Tupac's time in Marin City and his connections through his mother and, and his stepfather to the Black Panther Party, um, even there, 17th and Broadway, right where Youth Radio is, where I learned journalism is where Tupac had his interaction with the Oakland Police Department, which led to him suing the Oakland Police Department successfully. And so just really
2: um, being a student of it, as I said earlier. Yeah. Let's listen in. Let's listen to uh, Brenda's Got a Baby. Tupac Brenda's got a baby um penn this song is kind of like a you know it's it's that softer side of Tupac um talk to me a little bit about you know he references I mean he even says in there this is why this particular young woman's story matters to our whole community
5: I think I mean even taking a step back to the subject matter in the song and how he's placing uh it's a it's based upon a real story that happened in New York I ended up reading the article recently and just bringing it back full circle to understand it. And so he takes that real story that happens in New York and kind of places it in a fictitious tale. Um, Mm -hmm. And the video depicts a woman experiencing what he illustrates in his lyrics and the video, there's evidence that it's shot in Oakland. I haven't gotten all the confirmations, but this uh, fictitious person, Brenda her baby, um, the death of the baby, is reported in the Oakland Tribune in this um, fictitious video. And so for him to take a real story, put it in context, and essentially it's it's theater. It's poetry. It's theater. It's a higher level of hip hop. Um, you said it's the softer side of Tupac. Someone says it's the conscious side of Tupac. Mm-hmm. I think it's the real side of Tupac. Mm-hmm. And I mean, all of it is him. Mm-hmm. And he, he's reading the newspaper, seeing something and saying, dang, I got to do something about it. What can I do? at least I can amplify this story and uh, allow people to, to experience empathy.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we have another uh, special guest on the phone line. Um, I thought maybe, Nastia, do you want to introduce Nump as we kind of come into an era of of hip-hop that maybe people are more familiar with, you know, this kind of hyphen movement?
3: Yeah, so you can't talk about Bay Area hip-hop without talking about the hyphy movement. It's this incredible musical cultural moment that took over the 2000s, unified the Bay, um, created this high energy sound, this whole culture around it. Um, And Nump was really at the center of it. Not only is he known for his hit I Got Grapes, featuring E40 and the Federation, but he was also a sound engineer that worked on some of the most memorable songs of the 2000s, including Keek the Sneaks, um, White T-Shirt, Blue Jeans, and Nikes, the Federation's Hy-Fi, E40's hugely influential "Mike." Get a report card album, so I'm so happy we have him here right now to talk about it firsthand.
2: Hey, welcome, Nump.
7: Hey, 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 Messy Marv, disobey-ish. You can't leave that one out. You um <laughs> <bitch. laughs> uh,
2: Now, before we talk, hey, let's Messy
7: Marv, one of the. Hey, Messy Marv, one of the best Bay Area rappers. Period. We got always got to give Mess his flowers, y'all. Yes. For real, young Mess. You know what I'm talking about. How y'all feeling today? We bless y'all.
0: Young mess from Filmo.
2: <laughs> yeah, thank you, Nub. Thank you for joining. Us. I want to. I want people to hear your hear your music before we talk to you. So let's um let's play. I got grapes. That's cut twelve. I got grapes. oh man i wish we could listen to this whole song um but we can't uh that is uh <laughs> nump i got grapes uh and we have uh nump on the phone um when you hear that song now i mean you re- it was released back in was it 2005 um you hear it now you got three kids now you're a family man um how do you how do you think about this song now
7: Salama, that means thank you in Tagalog. Just want to teach y'all my Filipino language while we're on air. Um, man, I, and let me correct you. I got five kids, man. Oh, so five kids. Sorry, I just saw three in the
2: picture. Yeah, three <laughs> da-
7: no, you good. You good. Like three daughters, two boys. I'm blessed, man. You feel me? Shout out to Trinity. Uh, shout out to like, Lani. Shout out to Keani, Shout out to Zion and Liam, the twins. Always first, man. Um, to listen to it now, though, y'all, it that song really? I could say I'm an artist where like one song really changed my whole life, my whole career, my whole life meaning up to now. Mm-hmm. I've got to travel the whole globe once, twice, and thrice off of one song. You feel me? And then just all the marketing and branding and all the little opportunities I've had for being, you know, the spokesperson for something the color purple or something the flavor grape. And especially in this legal cannabis space that we're in right now in 2023, man, man. It's Friday, man. <laughs> 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 no, so yeah, you feel me? So we here, man. I'm just blessed, man. I'm always thankful and grateful.
2: Yeah. You know? Well tell me for so for somebody, imagine somebody out there in the Bay Area has, has not heard of hyphy. They're, you know, twelve years old, or they didn't listen to hip hop or whatever. How would you describe what hyphy is to them?
7: Um, fun music. Straight up. Like when you hear it off top, it's like it really going to take you there. It's, it's, it's a great energy. Um, It's it's a trip because once, before we did this interview, my kids just started really listening to, like, tell me when to go because of TikTok. You smell me? So it's like I was tripping because I never really influenced my kids on anything. I just let them flow. And if I could, you know what I mean, give yeah. them some game, I'm going to always give them game. But I'm not trying to, like, tell them, hey, this is what I did. And this is why we do this and woo-woo-woo, whatever. Like, I just trip out now because they're into it. And once I start showing them, like, look, nah, I worked, I helped make this. And to see their faces and their eyes light up and be like, dang, Uncle E-40 did this. And it's like, it, it, now I'm having, like, the second wind of it. And with all the timing of We Were Hy-phy, mm-hmm. Um That's you
2: know, a new documentary, documentary, which you can K- watch on, on KQED, by the way. Yeah.
7: Oh man! Hey, it's not KQED anymore. It's (laughs) KQY. Yeah. Don't worry, I trademarked it for us guys. I trademarked. Oh, thank
2: you. you. We did. We we solid. (laughs) (laughs)
3: that's honestly my favorite piece (laughs) that's honestly my favorite piece of feedback we've gotten on (laughs) that's my words so far but yeah Nump was an executive producer on uh lawrence madrigal's we were hyphy documentary and you can watch it on the that's my word site on bayareahiphop.com um pen was also a commentator in that documentary um and what i love about it is that um Beyond, you know, like all the awesome songs we all love, the sun shades, the sideshows, it really tells the deeper story of hyphy. And um, I think Penn puts it really well in the documentary how um, the people that created the hyphy movement were the the children that came after the crack epidemic. And there's almost a, there, there's this really high energy celebration that's almost in reaction to, to trauma. Um, Penn, do you, do you have anything you want to say about that?
5: Yeah, um, you're foreshadowing. <laughs> uh, we're working on a project now that's going to debut this fall. Um, while diving deep into the year 2006 and the music the soundtrack, brought to you by funk, folks like Nump and Messy Marv and uh, obviously Keek. Um, but yeah, we dive into the trauma and how partying and that expression, that dancing on cars, is is a way of um. There's a lot of pain pain behind the smoking and drinking. I'll just say that. Yeah. Um, and I'm looking forward to putting out there. And while I have the mic real quick, I will say that. Thank you for playing the Jacka track. Uh, yesterday marked uh, seven, eight years since his passing. Um, I just want to honor the Jacka. Um, shout out to Black Sea because Black Sea is a direct connection to Larry June, who's really popular right now out of the Bay Area. Shout out to Kimmy Fresh. I grew up around her family, and I didn't know the legacy until now, till doing this project. So like that's pretty tight to me. And then shout out to... Um, uh, AMLO in Oakland. If you're interested in more about Bay Area uh, hip-hop history, check out what AMLO is doing. That's the African American Library and Museum. They have an opening today from 12 to 2 um, documenting hip-hop history in the flesh. Oh,
2: man. Amazing. Um, thank you so much, Nump, for uh, for joining us. Thank you for your music, and uh, we uh, hope we'll, uh, we'll hear from you again. Um, let's get to one other question. Caller, let's go to uh, Anthony in Bayview. Welcome, Anthony. Hey, welcome. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, go uh, ahead.
9: So, yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a huge uh, Bay Area fan. Grew up in San Jose. Um, I collect a lot of vinyl. In fact, I'm I'm in the process of opening a vinyl shop in Bayview, San Francisco. Mm. Uh, to kind of bring that, it's a, it's going to be a vinyl shop and community center. Um, originally I wanted to have it be strictly Bay Area and, and pay homage to Bay Area music and uh, anywhere from Sly to Tower of Power all the way to <laughs> Larry June. Uh, but as I'm in that process, it was sort of hard for me to find a lot of the classics on vinyl, the RBL Posses. I have one E40 uh, album, one of the, his, his first album, the fe- uh, Federal. Um, the original press on that but um, as I'm going into the process it's really hard for me to find yeah uh, yeah find, vinyls and I and vinyl is such a huge part in hip-hop I'm wondering why that is or if, am I missing something or it was there just not a lot of vinyl presses uh in the early 90s and, and yeah and, that's an and interesting many... question
2: yeah uh, Anthony and Baby thank you so much look forward to uh you know, come to one of these Cade Cootie events around this project, so we can hear about your your shop.
0: I mean, some of it was, some of it wasn't. You know, uh, RBL. I don't think like their second album, "Ruthless by Law," that they dropped in '94. That was a that that album slapped. I mean, to this day, I mean, just you know, that had Bluebird on it, that had Bounce to This on it, but they never put it out. It was only like a CD. Uh, I, although there were some, I think there's a like two or three 12 inch singles on that. Um, and so vinyl is, a lot of times people didn't do vinyl. Uh, originally, when it started out, people did vinyl, like all that uh, 75 Girls stuff on, on Too Short, the early uh, Too Short stuff. That's like vinyl
4: and cassette before there was like a CD, but... Mm. Yeah, they've reissued a lot of, you know, the RBL albums are on vinyl now, but in the golden era of the 90s for hip-hop, that's when it was just, like, tapes and CDs and 12-inch singles, mostly. And your trunk. You know? yeah. yeah. Right, <laughs>
0: but, if you, but if you're not, yeah. if you don't have, like, the original pressing, isn't it, like, if you're a collector, you're like, oh, you
2: have a reissue. Yeah, oh. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we have been talking about KQED's monumental new series. Check it out, bayareahiphop.com. It's called That's My Word. and chronicles very hip-hop. We've been joined by Eric Arnold, contributing editor That's My Word, nope. Nastya Monivskaya, associate editor with KQD Arts,
3: <laughs>
2: Pan Harshaw, columnist with KQD Arts, <laughs> <Key>. <laughs> Oh, we got it in! <laughs> and Gameline, senior editor with KQD Arts and Culture. Peace. <laughs> This hour's forum is produced by Blanca Torres, Grace Wan, and Jennifer Ng. Marlena Jackson Rotondo is our engagement producer. Judy Campbell's lead producer. Our engineers are Danny Bringer and Christopher Beal. Our interns are Lulu Ralda and Jericho Reininger. Susan Davis, senior producer, VP of news, is Ethan toven lindsay And chief content officer is Holly Kern. And we're going out to Dregs 1, History of the Bay, which I think is on here because it shouts out Santa Rosa for Gabe. <laughs> I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of forum ahead with Nina Kim.
7: Dog smoking shoes, shoe young lay in the New Jersey drive movie. With Ray Love coming out of Santa Rosa, it's
2: rainy game out in Northern California. Recognize where you got the game. We got our
8: own style, got our own slang. Northern California is a West Coast
6: thing. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation.